Hi there everybody and welcome again to our Church in the Sky. We've got so many names for it so I might as well call it Church in the Sky. I trust every one of you are doing well and the Lord is blessing you as we are still continuing in this lockdown and as we are looking at the events that's happening in the world. Today I want to continue and go back to the Word of the Lord. One constant that we do have is the Word of God. If anything fails, God is still the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So I do want to encourage you to look upwards. Don't look around. Don't look at things around you that will cause you to, to, to fear. It will cause a lot of things in your life. But if you look upwards, the Bible says, Where shall my help come from? I look unto the mountains. My help comes from the Lord. Praise His name. So I want to welcome you again and uh, I want to continue today in our study in the book of Mark. As you remember, we started last year and we are going through the gospel according to Mark. This young man and there's two things that we learn from this passage. And first of all, that is who Jesus is and why he came. And we're in chapter 6 and we see that all of the things we learn about Jesus is to make us more into the image of him, of the Son. So praise the Lord for that. I want to talk to you today about Jesus. And we're going to see in the passage today that he's sending out disciples. And it's so different, so different than what our natural nature tells us. Our nature says to us is to hold on to things and not to let it go. But Jesus is going to teach us something today. He's going to send his disciples out. And how refreshing is that to look at the way that Jesus is, is conducting uh, himself with his disciples versus what the churches are doing. A lot of churches wants to pull people together and they say there's power in the masses. Well, Jesus had 12 disciples and he sent them out. So let's pick up the narrative here in Mark chapter 6 verse 7. He says, and he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Make a mental note, two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But you enter, uh, uh, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place he will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And in verse 12 he says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, that is where it stops. And then we find the next verses that's in that chapter about John the Baptist's death, how he's killed, sort of sandwiched in between verse 13 and verse 30 because in verse 30 we see the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and what they had taught so I want to talk to you today about the sending of the 12 let's pray and thank the Lord Heavenly Father I thank you for your word and Lord I believe thoroughly in my heart that even if I say nothing now your word has been proclaimed these people who can hear my voice has heard your word. And the Bible gives me the promise that your word will not go out and return void, but it will accomplish everything that it's purposed for. 
And also it says that your word is living and powerful. And Father, that it is a two-edged sword that cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And this part, Lord, it is the discerner of the heart. Lord, discern my heart with your word today. Discern my listener's heart with your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we also find parallel passages to this passage in Matthew chapter 10 and also in Luke chapter 9. And we will visit those passages a little bit later on for a little bit more context. But today I want to look at three things when Jesus sent out these disciples. First of all, I want to look at the mission and then at the authority and the message that he gave them when he spoke to them in sending them out. So first, let's look at the mission. Jesus sent them out two by two. And the question should be, why did he do that? If, if it was me and I want to think logical, and I want to have the most impact in a community or in a society, and I've only got 12 men, I would send out 12. Because normal math in my head says that if I send out 12 and they come back, they influence 12 different areas. But you see, this is where God's math is not our math. He sent them out two by two for a very good reason. It is a biblical reason because in Deuteronomy and also uh, when Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that, a case will stand on two or three witnesses. And so it was back in Deuteronomy. If there is a case against somebody, you had to bring two or three witnesses to make the case stand. So that is a biblical principle that Jesus applied here. When somebody is going out of these 12 apostles now, and they go out and preach or speak to somebody, it could be substantiated by the second person. But my beloved brother and sister, there's more to this. And I love it because we serve a God of relationships. We serve a God of companionship. And we find it right through the Bible. In fact, the Bible that you have in your hands now, that you are reading, is a love letter of companionship. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that's a sign of companionship. And we find it in this passage right here. It is a fact that two is better than one. We find it in Ecclesiastes. Let me read to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. He says, two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. When Solomon writes this, he was talking in the, in the preceding verse about one person and the wealth that one person can generate. But here in this passage now, he says that those two are better than one because two people can have labor and they can earn double what one person can labor. But in verse 10, he says, for if they fall, this is if one person fall, one will lift up his companion but woe to him who's alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Now, Leonie and myself has used this scripture verse so many times when we deal with couples. And I've used this passage when I'm, I married some people. Because the next verses, when you read on, he says, three is a better court than two. And that's when God comes into the relationship. But I want to apply this to 
the fact that Jesus sent them out two by two. And the Bible says it here that two is better than one. That if one falls, he can help him up, especially on this road. I, I would say to you that companionship always, always exceeds isolation. And this is why we are serving a God of relationships. You remember, Adam, back in Genesis, when God created this whole universe and the earth, and he created the mountains and the plants and everything. And in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says, let's create man according to our image and our likeness. And then when we go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says the following. He says, and God, the Lord God said, it is not good for man. What on earth can't be good for man? God created for him this wonderful, perfect planet. What is not good for man? And the Lord says, it is not good that man should be alone. In other words, it's not good for man to be isolated. And he says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And in the next few verses, he continues on to make animals and he brings them to Adam to give them names. But yet there was no helper found comparable to Adam. This is why we're not animals. He created us uniquely. And when he was going to create the helper for Adam, she was going to be created uniquely. Notice I've said she. Because it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 21, And the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And I thank the Lord that he caused so much deep sleep on Adam. If you can imagine that if, if the man had a say how the woman should be, oh man, that wouldn't have worked. He made the man to sleep. Man had no say in it. It amazes me that when, when, when somebody comes and they marry a, a lady, she's everything in his world. But then later on, he's, she's not perfect anymore. There's all of these small little problems that she's got and all of these complaints and moans and groans. But you see, this is the fact of the matter. God made Adam to fall into a deep sleep, the Bible says. And then he formed her out of his side. He took a rib out, filled the flesh up, and he brought the woman, the Bible says, to him. And she was a perfect helper for Adam. God is a God of companionship. God is a God of relationship. That's the God whom we serve. It's not good to be isolated. John, the apostle of love, the apostle who brings to us these beautiful passages in the gospel and then in the letters, he touches on the same thing. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, he explains to us the interaction that they had with Jesus, how they saw him, how they walked with him and everything. And then he comes and he calls him concerning the word of life. He calls him the word of life. And then he says the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested to us. And then in verse 3 he says, That which we have seen and which we have heard, we declare to you. Why? Listen now. He said, We declare that to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. You may have fellowship with us. We are serving a God of fellowship. We are serving a God of companionship. It is so wonderful. It's marvelous. 
This truly God that we serve. He says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, my brother and sister, I know that a lot of you find it very difficult in this isolation. But you have fellowship with the Father. You have fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. The word that he uses here for fellowship is the word koinonia, the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means community. It means to be joint participants in this community. And this is what we have as a church, as a fellowship. We use the word koinonia because we're a community of believers in Jesus Christ. And each one of us participate in this fellowship. It is so beautiful. I mean, I, I remember when we go to church and, and there's people around and there's some in the kitchen and there's some on the inside, there's some vacuuming. There's, it, it's just a, a whole community who participates, not only in that, participates in prayer, participates in, in fellowship, in asking brothers and sisters how they are doing. We are serving a God of fellowship. And Jesus showed it to us when he sent them out two by two. This is not a one-man game. It is with him. It is a fellowship. So the question then is, what is the opposite then of communion? What is the opposite then of fellowship? And then it is isolation. Isolation is totally the opposite. And you see, and you've got to listen carefully what I'm saying now, and watch what I'm telling you now around you on the news in the world we are living in. The enemy... The enemy's tactics is to intimidate, then to isolate, and then to destroy. Three things. He intimidate, and then he isolate, and then he destroy. You see, intimidation creates fear. That's just what happens. And then once somebody is fearful, it produces isolation. And once somebody is isolated, it leads to hopelessness. And the enemy see the hopeless one and they prey on the hopeless one and they destroy the hopeless one. Again, I want you to apply what I'm saying to you now to the world currently. There is a fear mongering going on in the world right now. Now, I'm by far not saying we're going to rebel against the, the governments or of the world or against this. But no, I can give you that knowledge so that you can see the tactics of the enemy. They intimidate because intimidation causes that fear and it isolates people. They've isolated the whole world. And then what happens? Hopelessness comes in. Weakness steps in, and that is when the enemy identify that they prey on that, and they come in and they destroy. There is no better example than a lion, a big roaring lion. And the Bible talks about this. In Proverbs chapter 19 verse 12, he says, The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. The king's anger is like the roaring of a lion. It is intimidating. And what is that fear the cause then? It causes fear amongst the people. And if you've got people who's fearing, that is when you can step in because it disillusionate people from each other. Also in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 15, he says, Like a roaring lion and a charging bear is the wicked ruler over poor people. 
And you can look at what's happening right now. The evidence is right there for everybody to see. I'm not telling you stuff which I'm making up here, but it is the rich who is preying on the poor like a roaring lion and a charging bear right now. Proverbs 28, go and read it for yourself. This is what they do. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 25. It's a great passage in the Bible. And I think it's a prophecy for us as well. Because in this particular place, he says, the conspiracy of her prophets. Listen now carefully. Ezekiel 25, 22, 25. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion. He's talking about a certain group of people in the nation. It's like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. What is this passage talking about? It's talking about a group of people. And, and I want you to go and check this out. Read the whole chapter because it reads about Jerusalem. It's actually addressing this passage to the whole of Judea. And when he talks about the conspiracy of the prophets here, he talks about the politicians. And notice how he says it so clearly and perfectly for us. He talks about the politicians and it's applicable to the politicians of our day. The conspiracy of a people. And what do these politicians do? It's like a roaring lion. What do they do? They intimidate people. They make them fearful. They isolate them. And then what do they do? They prey on them. For what reason? For what reason? It says it right there. They, they prey on them. They have devoured people. They've taken treasure and precious things. The word therefore taken is they've snatched it away. They, they grab it. They just come in and they say, your property is not your property anymore. We're going to take it. We're just going to take it away from you. A classic example, Zimbabwe, South Africa now, where they just want to go in and take land away from them. The Bible talks about it so clearly. He says, precious things they've taken, they rob you. And, and then if you go further down in that passage, in verse 26, he says, Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. So the first passage talks about the politicians. This next one in, in Ezekiel chapter 22 from verse 26 talks about the priests. It talks about the church. It talks about the churches who is in there for themselves. It talks about the churches. Uh, let me read you the verse. He says, they profane my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy. They have not made known the difference between unclean and clean. They have made not known these things. This is, this is applicable to us. How wonderful is the Bible? And then he goes on. He says, again in verse 28, the prophets plastered them with un." Tempted mortar. Verse 29, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery. It is a sick story. It is a filthy story. But it's true and we can see it. Remember what is the tactic. It is intimidation to produce fear. And once fear comes, it isolates, it makes hopeless. And once you are weak, then it comes in and it destroys you. Well, 
it's a sober warning from Peter. Remember in Peter, when he writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, our enemy, is he says to us, be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking who he can destroy. If you think about a lion, and I've watched so many of these animal programs, when they hunt, they isolate one of these these animals, they isolate them. And once it's isolated, he hasn't got the strength of the pack and they kill him. That's the prey. That's the prey. So you say, but preacher, we are isolated right now. We are locked down and I can't see my children. I can't see my family and I can't come to church. Should we go out and, and go against the government? By far not. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is take courage because we, although we can't touch each other now and give each other a hug or a, or, or, or a handshake, and I will shake your hand again. Doesn't matter what they say, but let's listen to this. Although all of these things, now you know the tactic of the enemy so that you can pray against that. Secondly, you've got fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ. Listen, they can isolate you and me as much as they want. They will not isolate us from the love of the father so we see that jesus sent them out two by two for companionship for fellowship and also that on a case of two or three a case may stand so then we move over to the authority in mark 6 7 he says he sent them out two by two and he gave them authority over unclean spirits i want to talk to you just for a quick moment about this authority here the word that he uses there for authority is the Greek word exosia. And it means the power of authority. The power of authority. And I want to jump over now to Luke because Mark writes this down. But there's a little bit more to the narrative that Luke gives us. So if you want to flick over in your Bible to Luke chapter 9 verse 1. The same. Luke writes about this now. He says, then he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them, now listen to this, power. He called them together and he gave them power. The Greek word used there for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis. And that's where we find our English words dynamite. And you and I know what a dynamite does. If I put a dynamite in this room, I better run for my life because that dynamite will explode and the immense power therein will destroy this whole room. Shall I say maybe the house? It is so powerful. This is the word dynamis. But we also find a second word that comes out of that. And that's the word, the English word dynamo. And we also know what a dynamo is. It's dynamic. It's continuing on. It's mo getting momentum and keeping that momentum. Two words. So when Jesus called these 12 disciples, he gave them dynamis, an explosive power and also a dynamic power. And then he also says, and authority. So he gave them power, dynamis, and authority. And Luke also uses the word exosia, which is the power of authority. Now, notice now clearly, this is important, what he gave them power and authority over when he sent them out. He gave them power and authority over the demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Make a note there. You see, the thing is about power and authority. Power without authority is abuse. 
And we see it so many times. If somebody's got power, but they do not have the authority, they abuse. Dictators do that. Authority, on the other hand, without power is weak and it's useless. Authority without power is useless. It's only noise. But here, I like it when Luke writes it down. He says, he gave them the power and he gave them the authority. And let me just say that is delegated authority. It comes from God. It's his authority. We only operate in his authority. Oh man, that is so important to know that. It's never my authority. Whenever I speak to in, in this world, I speak in the power of God, not in my own power. I've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. So he gave them this. Over what? Over demons and over disease. And you see, brother and sister, we've got that same power today. We've got that same power. And some people are misusing that power. And because they are misusing that power, a lot of people are turning their back on that power. Let me give you a scripture. One in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Remember Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. And now he speaks to them these words. He says, and you will receive power. Power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, and you shall receive power. The word that he uses there for power is the word dynamus. Remember, dynamus is what? Dynamite and dynamic. Remember when he spoke to the disciples. He said to them, I will give you power over what? Demons and diseases. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he changes it a bit. Notice now what he says. He says, I will give you this dynamis. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do what? And you shall be my witnesses. <laughs> this is so marvelous. When he sent the twelve out, he gave them power and authority over the demon spirits and diseases. To us, you and me, he says, he will give us dunamis to be witnesses. The Greek word there for witnesses is the word martyr. That means somebody who dies for a cause. No wonder that uh, Paul says to us in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, he says, brothers, I urge you. To give your bodies as a living sacrifice. To give your bodies as a martyr. That is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what the power... Now, you ask me, do we still have this power over demons and over diseases? Yes, we do. It's not a diluted power that the apostles didn't, uh, had and we didn't. It's the same word. It's dunamis. Ah, but wait, because I've seen it and you've seen it so misused, so misused and people proclaiming things they are not and people want all of a sudden fight Satan. No, no, no. Let's read on. In Mark chapter 16 verse 15, Jesus gives them the great commission and now the Bible itself puts it into context. It puts it into place. In Mark 16, 15, he says, and he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Remember, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power. 
dunamis, to be my witnesses. This is what a witness do. You preach the gospel. You preach the gospel. You preach the gospel. That's where it starts for us, with us. And then he says, he says there, he says the gospel to every creature. He who believes will be baptized and saved. So what do we get power to do? We get power to preach the gospel, to baptize. And people will get saved by those things. He says, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And now in verse 17, in context, he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. It will follow those who believe in my name. Oh, that is it. that's the giveaway. In my name. They will cast out demons. And let me just throw something in here. I, I'm just going to say it out loud. That some people are using the name of the Lord as a magic wand. They walk around in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I wonder sometimes if I look at them, if they know the Jesus they are talking about. Because this is a power, brother and sister, that if, if it falls in the wrong hands, it is dangerous. It can hurt. It can kill. You, you say, where is this example? Well, in the book of Acts, where's that sorcerer Simon who came and he saw the disciples operating in this power and he wanted to buy the power. He wanted to have what they wanted to get. And that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit and God is not a magic wand that you can wand around. But he says it here. He says... In my name you will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The key here is, for you and for me, with this dunamis power, is to start with the gospel. To preach the gospel. And to baptize people. That's what this is. But you see, today uh, they start with the science and the wonders. And when you ask them, why do you start with the science and the wonders? They say to you, well, they pull people in. We draw people in and then we preach the gospel. Nonsense. Nonsense. That's not what Christ did. I find it nowhere. Signs and wonders followed. Followed. I just had to say that. So... He gave them power, dunamis, and exosia. He gave them the authority. He sent them out two by two, companionship. And on the, on, on the voice of two or three witnesses, a case stand. And now we see that he gave them power and the authority. So let's finish this morning with the message that he gave them. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. There's two staffs that I learn about in the Bible. There might be more, but... To my what my I've exhausted and looked into one is a rod and one is a staff the rod was used for correction uh, and shepherds shepherds used that but a staff was used uh, for these men when they walk to protect themselves as a walking stick and even if there's a snake if there's a wild animal if there's somebody trying to attack them but they also and there's a lot a latter part there which talks about a sword or a knife which they took with them on the road jesus says to them no just take one staff and he says to them no bread no bag no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not to put in two tunics. So in other words, this was a short mission. It wasn't going to be a long mission where they're going to be there for a long time. 
So he said to them, take that. And in verse 10 he says, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now again, I want to jump here to Matthew chapter 10, which gives us Matthew's testimony about what happened here or what Jesus said. He said, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Ah, there we find the key. So Mark didn't write about this, but Jesus said, He said to them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. That's you and me. When He sent out the twelve, He didn't send them first of all to the Gentiles. He sent them, listen to the verse now, He says, And do not enter the city of the Sumerians. Sumerians were half Jews. They married into different nations. And he says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus first came for his own, the Bible says. But when they rejected him, he came to the Gentiles. We were grafted into the olive tree. And he, he did the same here with the disciples, with the apostles. He said to them, go not to the Gentile, but go to your own. This now makes sense. That when he says the following words, he says that when you come to a home... And then you acquire, and I like it the way, listen the way that Matthew writes it. He says, now whenever a city or a town you enter, listen, inquire who in it is worthy. That's a new concept. So they have to enter into this town or city and then they inquire who is worthy. That is interesting. He says, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. Uh, if the household is worthy, there's that word again, worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace re return back unto you. So what is this worthiness all about that he talks about here? He says, inquire if it is worthy. The, the idea is to seek a godly home who desires a blessing. That is what it is. Remember, in context that when they walked there they were not liked by the people they were Jesus's disciples by now already there were people who hated Jesus and his disciples so then he says there when you come in and you greet them the way that they greet them is they come in in their custom and they will say shalom Shalom. And I will see who's the person who says to me Shalom. The word Shalom is the word peace. And if I don't like the person who says to me Shalom, I would say nothing back to him. That is what it means here that when you go in, you greet them. You see if they are worthy. And the one who says Shalom back to you, your peace comes back to you. You go into that house. This is what he means by this. When you see if they are worthy. And then he continues on there to say, you stay with them until you leave. Oh, and this is, this, there is such a, a beautiful message in that. Because if you think about this, now the followers of Christ, these who are worthy, became the outcasts in their communities. 
and they started losing jobs and they started being persecuted and they couldn't get friends anymore and all of the ants adds up. So then you enter into this house. It might be a poorly house. It might be a house that you walk in. You see, you can't sit down and say, I don't like this house. If they've returned your peace, then you stay there. Nope. You see, with God, there's no respecter of person. And God doesn't want you and me to have a respecter of person. It doesn't matter whether you like that person or not. But if the peace of God comes back to you from that person, then you stay with that person. This takes personalities right out of the equation. And oh man, do we need a lot of that. Because I still hear people talking about, I don't like that. And then I go, but that person is a Christian, you're a Christian. How is it that Christians don't like each other? How is it that Christians isolate from another? How is it that Christians break fellowship from another? And sometimes, brothers and sisters, oh, it, it, it could be over a small thing that they disagree on. They disagree on something small. I'm not talking about biblical doctrines where it's false and so on. Oh, that's fine. But sometimes I've heard some people who break fellowship just because they are, they, they've got a small thing. He says here, if you greet them in Shalom and Shalom comes back to you, stay with them. It's an important message. And it's, you, you know, and then he says to them, he says, if they do not do this, you then look at your shoes and you dust off, shake off the dust of your shoes. And that dust or that dirt will be a witness against them, against them. Now, in the West, you and I, it's foreign to us. You remember a while ago, and I couldn't remember who the president was. It could have been President George Bush when he was in one of the uh, countries in Arabia or, or somewhere that one of the reporters took off his shoe and he threw it at him. Th that was significant because for them, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. Your shoe, to throw that at somebody is, is the biggest uh, um, offense that you can do to somebody. And here he comes, he says, when somebody do not take this, you dust it off. Now, let me just clarify this. And I'm nearly finished here. And that is that when they listen to you, it is the message that they're against. It's not you as a person. You shouldn't take it personal. If people reject you, there's a lot of people who reject me. I, I understand that. Not everybody in this whole world is going to like me. Not everybody in this whole world is going to agree with me. Not everybody in this whole world is going is, is to go with me. No, and I get that. I understand that. But it's not about me. It's not about you in this matter. It is about the gospel of God. If they reject the gospel... The same, uh, um, Samuel, Samuel came to the Lord and he, and he, and he, and he felt so depleted. And the Lord said, they didn't reject you, Samuel, they rejected me. So the gospel, it's not you personally. When you leave, you shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And I know we use it sometimes if people offend us and they do, we say, oh, we shake off the, the dust. And I get that. It is just a word to say that they reject the peace which I've given out to them. They give, haven't given me the peace back, so I dust off and shake off the dust from my feet. It is a, a Jewish symbol of rejection. So three things today. He sent them out two by two, companionship. It is important for a child of God, companionship. 
the authority and the power and the message, the message. And finally, he says in verse 13, and they cast out demons and anointed oil. Many who were sick and healed them. It showed that with the commission that he sent them, that it worked, it worked the power. And in verse 30, and the apostles returned and they told him that they have done and, that, and what they have taught. And let me just say by closing that these men were truly apostles. An apostle is somebody who is sent with a mission. He's sent with a message and a mission. These men were sent to do that. That's an apostle. That's an apostle. Their mission was to proclaim the gospel that you and I stand in today. My brother, my sister, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. I pray for you. I pray for your family. I pray for the fellowship between us, between the Father. And may, may you walk in his power and in his authority. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for this message. I thank you for your power and your authority in your lives. And Father, I thank you for the companionship and the fellowship. And Father, thank you. Help us, Lord. We need you in these times. I pray for the brother and the sister who's hurting, who's crying out. And I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit be there with them. In Jesus' name. Amen.